Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Today's Think Humanities podcast will continue a frequent book theme we have with you as we begin to look forward to next fall's Kentucky Book Fair and the many books and writers we'll have such a good time discussing on the podcast with you over the course of the many months ahead. Today, we want to introduce you to Kentucky author Laurie Brock. Just when you thought you knew everything and had heard everything about horses and the horse business in Kentucky, along comes Horses Speak of God, how horses can teach us to listen and be transformed. Laurie Brock, a former attorney, is an Episcopal priest serving the parishioners at St. Michael the Archangel in Lexington. She volunteers as a crisis chaplain with the Lexington Police Department, blogs at reverendlauriebrock.com, that's R-E-V-L-A-U-R-I-E-B-R-O-C-K.com, and frequently leads retreats for ecumenical and interfaith gatherings. She's an avid horse person, an equestrian, and leads horses uh, and lets horses teach her about God, joy, and patience. And as I said, just at the time when we think we know everything about either horses or God, uh, the latter being Mm. uh, still a big question mark in most people's minds. Uh, You put the two together. So what can horses teach us about God? Oh, how much are we willing to listen? Mm. Um, I I think horses have some deep connection with humanity that is is ancient and, and primitive in, in the way that we use that word to recognize sort of our deep connection that doesn't always make um, intellectual sense. When I was doing some of the research for this book, I discovered that the cave art depiction of horses, horses are one of the most used, if not the most used um, animal depicted in cave art. Um, and cave art was that moment where at least anthropologists seem to say that humanity became sort of more than just functional. We, you know, we, we were getting enough sleep, we were getting something to eat, we had shelter, and then we did something with art. And, and what does it say about our ancestors that they, they wanted to draw horses? And maybe it was just that horses were around, but I think that that relationship that we have with horses throughout ages uh, is still there, is still sort of deeply held within ourselves and souls as humans. And, and I think it's the reason that you see the entire world stop on a Saturday in May to watch the Kentucky Derby, and then they don't pay attention to horses again. But that moment, that moment to watch those beautiful creatures run. But for you and your writing and your thought process through all of this was was deeply personal, wasn't it? Very deeply personal. I started to realize that uh, when I would talk to friends of mine or their clergy, and we would be discussing some issue with our ministry or some uh, what we were going to preach on Sundays, I, I, I found myself saying, well, when I was riding at the barn last Monday or when I was on the horse, and I started to realize that I was letting them reframe how I understood the words of scripture and the words of theology that I have studied for 20 years, that they were suddenly giving me new insight to what it meant to be still and know that God was God. Interesting. It's fascinating. Um so the deeper meaning, well, let, let's just uh, ask, mm-hmm. 
uh, for you to tell me about Izzy. Oh, Izzy. So Izzy was the horse that, or is the horse, she is still the, the sassy gray mare, as I like to call Izzy. And uh, Izzy at the barn was the horse that I decided that I did not want to ride. I was scared to ride her. Uh, she's not a bad horse, but she just is not, um, she's not a beginner horse. We can just safely say that. And he, Izzy has a propensity to let the rider know what she does and doesn't like. And that propensity sometimes includes her back end going up in a buck. Mm. I, and uh, my instructor, I ride at Wing Sweat Farm, just would not let me bail out. Wouldn't let me say, oh, I just don't like to ride her. We just don't get along. Because I had all the really good logical reasons. And Steph would bridle her up for me and say, nope, you're riding her today. And I just remember that moment where Stephanie said, you have got to trust that you know how to ride and you just can't be scared of her. And I just remember the moment that I actually rode her and it was a good ride. I didn't feel like I was, you know, dying inside as a rider to ride her. And uh, somewhere in all of that mixture of faith in myself and faith in her and courage and to some extent, stupidity, because I think there has to be some level of, of fearless stupidity to get on a horse anyway. Um, to feel confident to ride her translated in some ways to some other aspects of my life um, as a minister. That I could just, when somebody would say, well, why do you do this? Or how are you at the bedside of a person who is dying? And sometimes in ways their family can't be. I just go back to, I ride Izzy, you know, because she holds... When I get on her and ride her, she holds within that, um, that wonderful weaving together of all that is human love and courage right there in the saddle. And I actually uh, rode her one day when another rider had been on her and had been in a bad, she was the rider probably, but Izzy was certainly in a bad mood. And my instructor said, hop on her and take her around. And I thought, I have come so long with you, little gray mare. And, you know, she was fine when I got on her. But she's, um, horses are a deep reflection of who we are. And we don't hide that from horses. And I know that humans have a tendency, I know I do, that I can be having the worst day. But I've got, I've got to be happy. I've got to smile. I've got to be pleasant. And I don't really want to be. But we sometimes have to. Um, horses pick that up very quickly when, when you're in the saddle. And I think that to say, okay, I'm having a bad day. This has been a really long week. I'm going to ride anyway. And, and, and to just be present to all of those emotions and know that in spite of all of that, we can still be present in a way that I think our culture doesn't invite us to be present with our emotions. Was Izzy the horse that you were grooming when you had sort of an emotional um, uh, reaction to uh, a, a tragedy that had occurred in in the the police chaplain work that you had done. She, I was, I she was the horse that I was. I remember saying when my friend I was having coffee with a friend of mine afterwards, who said was asking me sort of, you know, why did you go? And and I just remember thinking because I ride Izzy, and and again that is that's still my statement. My my friends have gotten to know that, and and in fact along my close circle of friends. They now start to say that, you know, well, I did this because I ride Izzy. So there is just that wonderful statement of, of faith, love, and courage. But she was the horse that I can remember going to ride soon after that. And just in, in having to be so present with her, because she's not a horse that you sit on and daydream about your grocery list or what you're going to eat for dinner. 
Um, I remember she just forced me to be in my um, self and soul in the aftermath of that. In a way, I'm not sure somebody with lots of degrees after their name could have done. So tell me about uh, the, the process of writing and um, how you got from from this this deep connection to mm-hmm. an animal uh, to thinking that there were there were passages that you'd studied in divinity school mm-hmm. and that you had probably preached about themes that you felt a, a deep connection to also but then you were kind of putting them together um, horses speak of God again the title how horses can teach us to listen and be transformed was that an epiphany? Did that uh, all of a sudden happen? Um, was it a burning bush moment uh, for you? Or did it sort of evolve as you read scripture, uh, studied for your um, for what you were going to say on Sunday mornings and so forth? I had a friend of mine, and I was telling her a story about me riding Nina, who was my horse, uh, and whatever Nina had done that day and, and, and how it's connected again to something in my life. And Meredith Gould, who is herself a writer said, you should write this down. You, you should write this as a book. So that's how it, you know, I wish it was a burning, but it was like, no, that's a book that's not and there. And then Meredith is that person that goes and does all this great research. Um, so she comes back and says, you know, there's really not a book out there about this. You, you should write this book. And I thought, my first thought was, I can't write this book. I don't know enough about horses. But you know, I don't know enough about horses to write this book. And so I sort of sat with it for a while, and and I just I rem- and now I do remember the moment that I that I that I heard heard the title, and I think it was actually out at the barn, and and somebody had you know made a comment about what would horses say if they speak. And I sort of remember thinking, horses speak of God. Oh, there's the title. So once I got that, then I was able to do, um, to do a pitch for it and write, write it to Paraclete and say, here's this book, and what do you think? And they were amazing and wonderful about letting me go forward with something that had not been written before. So Paraclete, uh, Paraclete is the publisher. Press is publisher. So... In the introduction, which, by the way, I, I don't know if you brought your copy, but I have a oh. copy. You, you brought a copy, too. I'm going to have you read in just a moment um, from a passage or two, at least one. But uh, then, um, as we're reading from the contents, these are the the topics or the themes or the, the chapter headings. Fear, routine, deep, trust, envy, and so forth. Uh, quite Quite a few of them. How did you... How did you sort of uh, figure out that you wanted each chapter to be headed up by 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 the topic, by the theme, and then relate that to uh, what you were doing in everyday life? Oh, I wrote a lot of chapters that didn't work, and I went, <laughs> oh, this. Uh, you know, part of it is I started, some of the chapters that, the way they ended up is not the order in which I wrote them. You know, that's probably not a shock to anybody who writes, but... Um, you know, some of the chapters really, the titles like um, collect were, were really clear because those were words I use a lot. And I think that I didn't find myself into that place until I about a third of the way of writing. Because I, I, I don't really do titles. It drives me crazy. So, And I remember going back and saying, oh, wait, I'm really talking about this here. And then that gave me some framework to write in. And and again, when I wrote, I wanted, I wanted to, to write something that... 
obviously if you are a person who has a belief um, in, in Christianity and God that this is going to speak to you in a certain way. I also had wonderful editors that, that really pushed me to say, get out of that default language. Uh, so somebody who doesn't have a working, or a, I don't say working knowledge, but a knowledge of Christianity or basic Christianity, could still read any of these chapters and find a place to connect. I, you know, I think I wanted to, in some way, make, make the case that, that we are, as humans, deeply spiritual beings. And that spirituality expresses itself in so many ways. And it expresses itself in synagogues and in mosques and in churches. And it also expresses itself, you know, on hikes and on the backs of horses. And, and neither one of those is necessarily a better or worse one. It is just a different expression of a, of a recognition that we are more than just um, cells and blood and sinews walking around, that there is a part of our souls that listens to it, you know, as I call it, God. So, how much um, of, of these? Um, how many of these have ended up in sermons? Uh, <laughs> now that you'd probably have to ask my congregation. They would probably say more than I think. I, I did try to be very good about not uh, putting these in sermons, but I will tell you that this uh, the one about balance, I mm -hmm. think, is the one where I talk about uh, stirrups. That actually did originate uh, as a sermon on actually the whatever Sunday of Advent that I quote in there. Yeah. Is uh, that's that's the we in the Episcopal Church we call it Stir Up Sunday. So of yeah. course I have to preach on horses that Sunday, but that one is the one that I can remember did originate as a sermon. The the themes and let's just if you don't mind we'll, we'll just choose, we'll choose, you've, you've talked about balance um, talk about the chapter uh, titled envy and what you were trying to say there so this is one of my favorite chapters because it gets to mention uh, one of my other my writer writers at the barn uh, I heard a sermon from a rabbi years and years and years ago about uh, envy and how it had been couched through the years as one of the seven deadly sins in the Christian tradition. Um, and, and he really began to ask the question, you know, what is envy? What, what about envy makes it sinful? And, and then he posed the question, which I think is really powerful, which is where this came from, was, and what can it tell us about ourselves? Um, and, and I was fascinated at at what Envy told me about myself as, as a competitive rider, um, someone who shows horses, uh, but, but also what that relationship, as, as I say in the book a few times, you know, being a recovering perfectionist, mm. you know, what the relationship is that we have with, with ourselves, with God, with those around us, um, can we celebrate joyful things in other people's lives? Or do I, you know, get angry about that? And if I get angry about that, that says a lot about me. And what does, can I sit with that uncomfortable idea? So what does it say about me? And I remember when I watched Anita ride Rosie, which is her show horse, feeling envious because I love Anita as a friend and she's an amazing person, but feeling envious and having to really sit with that question about what was that saying about me and realizing what it was saying about me is that I was actually wasn't finding any joy in competitive riding. Um, and the easy way out was not to compete anymore. 
thank goodness my instructor didn't let me do that. But but to realize what it meant to to ride competitively, um, to do the best I could, uh, and and if you win, you win, and if you don't, you don't. Mm. Um, um, choose another one. I'll, I'll let you choose uh, one this time, just, just to talk a, a little bit about the chapter and the, the heading and the theme and, and what you were trying to say uh, in, in one of the other chapters. Oh, good. See, this is when you make writers talk about their own writing. Uh, you know, I would actually like to talk about fear. That's the one chapter. When I have friends of mine who have read this, they said that's the chapter they skip. And I've heard that from more than one person. I've skipped the chapter on fear. I didn't want to read about being afraid, which I think, again, says something about our state as humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, when I was early in my riding uh, career in American Saddlebreds, so my horse, Nina, who I had probably owned for not quite six months at that time, got kicked and spooked by another horse and took off and and I didn't go with her. I instead went into a fence and ended up with five broken ribs and a punctured lung and a no. concussion. Yes. So, uh, and I got out, I had my doctor said out of the saddle for 60 days. You can't do this. And I remember thinking, should I just sell her? You know, I, you know, and it, again, it wasn't a her fault kind of thing, but horses are independent beings with some ideas of their own too. And at this time, uh, the barn where I rode and originally shut down its lesson program. So then I go to this new barn. So here I am, you know, recovering from a pretty significant riding injury. I'm in a new barn where I don't know anybody. You know, I, I know two other riders that are there. Um, I don't know where any of the tack is. You know, none of the things that sort of make me feel comfortable. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I am scared to ride my own horse. Uh, and, and that whole process to me of being able to come back from that and, and to, be, to be able to feel, to feel confident and, and to love riding after that. I think it would have been very easy for me at that point to say, what are you doing? Um, and I, to do some, some of the photo shoots I ended up doing for this required me to ride Nina out into a big open field, you know, gallop her around. And I just remember marveling at the feeling I had and how much I loved doing it and thinking I would not, I would not, I could not have done this, you know, five years ago. But just the idea of what does fear have to tell us? Uh, we, we demean it as an emotion. I think we want to hide it. We want to talk about, oh, I'm not scared. Um, I think that there's a power in saying I am scared. I mean, that's a courageous statement to make into the universe. I am scared. Um, and also to know that, that I think, it, and I think I write this in the chapter, it's, you know, it's not that God says when, God, when we hear fear not. I think God isn't saying don't, you know, don't feel fear. I think God is saying don't let fear be the last word in the sentence. You know, you, this is okay to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Keep going. I mean, I remember just, and I thank goodness, you know, for, for Stephanie, my instructor, who, who would not let me not feel. I mean, she just said, you're going to be scared and you're riding anyway. And I did. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if you uh, would, um, just because I think it's, it's well-written and poignant, is for, just from the introduction. Okay. Would you read just a, um, you can read as much as you want, or if you, you get to a point and you want to, uh, it's only a couple of pages. It is only, yeah. 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 I was like, so, well, so. that's actually shorter than I thought. This was well edited down. Um, 
I have a love affair with horses and their way of communicating. Horses, while quite capable of vocalizations, particularly around feeding time, communicate more readily through their bodies. They respond to pressure. Their eyes, nostrils, and ears speak paragraphs about their thoughts and feelings. They paw at the ground with their hooves to communicate boredom or anxiety or, hey, give me a treat. They sense subtle changes in a rider's stress or body positions, sometimes even before the rider is aware of these fluctuations. This love of horses was not instantaneous. My love affair with them was far more inconsistent, like the characters in a Jane Austen novel who engage and depart from one another over decades before recognizing the love of their life. My first horse ride was as a three-year-old on my grandparents' mare. I rode sporadically, filling my time in other ways. I rode again in college, then fell into the words of law school and later seminary, until one day I listened to God tell me something was missing in my life. I ignored these words at first. I was paying my bills and was part of a wonderful church community. God kept talking, as she does when we ignore the holy words directing us into a new place. And I listened long enough to find myself on the back of a horse, learning to feel its movements, until one day when I discovered horses were attuned to my feelings, even ones I wanted to suppress, until one day when they felt truthful. They resonated in the body of my soul. After I had been riding regularly for a few months, I arrived at the barn early for my weekly lesson. I had been at the bedside of a beloved parishioner who was making her great journey from life to death to eternal life. The church roof was leaking again, and I'd ended a relationship by breaking my own heart to be true to myself, an elegant way of saying it wasn't him, it was me, and who I was with him. As I walked into the barn, I encountered one of the grooms who asked me how I was. Fine, I replied, mincing my words. I haltered Delilah, a black Frisian mare, and began the process of readying her for our ride. I brushed her, I picked her massive hooves, and I picked up a comb to brush her mane, snarled from a day out in the paddock, and I cried. I wept in anger at the implications of loving others even unto death, of a roof leak, of the pain of endings, of all that too often seems unfair about human life. I sobbed because I was not fine, and Delilah didn't have to ask me. She knew. Why can't life always feel joyful, I prayed to God. God responded, I think, with an eye roll. I cried even more. The dust from Delilah's coat mixed with my tears, and I kept combing. Delilah stood still as I used her mane to wipe away my tears, Frisian manes are slightly less absorbent than Kleenex tissues, but in the middle of a barn and in the midst of life, we use what we have to dry our tears. I tacked her up and climbed on. After days of praying last rites and explaining why a relationship wouldn't work, I rode in silence and felt the most healing language I'd heard in days, the language of healing that only horses speak. And I realized that it is because of this language, because of the truth of words, are because of the words of truth, of faith, of love, and of God that these horses had taught me, that I loved horses more than my own limited words could express, more than reason and intellect could explain. These creatures teach me to feel life and faith in my body and in my being, not to cover these feelings with words and intellect. They push me to silence my brain and let my body feel they feel my soul's emotions often before I do and entice me to experience my own emotions. 
As I stepped Delilah up to a trot and felt my soul shift and balance on her, I breathed that deep breath out, and I began to listen. Well, that's lovely. Thank you. And uh, so well done and so well written. And and again, um, it, it just uh, seems, I don't know why I should even have to say this, but uh, so so honest and truthful, and that's what you want it to be. It is, and I hope that people who read it, even if you have never been on a horse. Um, I hope that there's a, there are connections that you can read that and go, oh, I know what that is. You know, regardless of what, what the great passion is in your life, if it's woodworking, if it's hiking, if it's uh, arts, uh, if it's just being present, I, I would hope that, that you can find the connections. Uh, Silas House uh, wrote a blurb on... Um for the book, uh, and you don't get much better than than Silas in in endorsing uh, what he wrote. No, um, I'm I'm done. I feel like well, I can't write another book now. Silas is for this. He wrote a beautifully written meditation on belief, the holy and the healing power of horses. Mertonian. I've never seen that uh, spelled out like that, and and only Silas could. Only uh, he could do it. But as somebody who loves Thomas Burton, and he did not know that. Yeah. I, I, but when I read that blurb, I thought, "Wow." Mertonian in its wisdom, this profound book not only helped me see the magic of animals in everyday life, but allowed me a better understanding of my own faith journey in the Episcopal Church, and that's a journey that um, a lot of people. Uh, including myself, are still on, and uh, th- this this will be a, a great help to uh, those many people. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and I and I do again want to reiterate: you you don't have to be Episcopalian to read it. You don't have to be Christian. Mm-hmm. I think that you just have to to be in awe of what it means to be human, and then also be willing to know that sometimes other parts of God cre- God's creation have a bit more insight about what it means to be human than we do. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. This was wonderful. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.